program. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Why do you think an imposter Christ would be received by the masses as God's anointed one? Have you ever thought about that? The Bible makes it plain that there is one who is coming. He is going to be like a counterfeit. He's going to be... An imposter, he's going to pretend to be what he isn't. He's going to pretend to be the Messiah, the Holy One of Israel, the Anointed One of God, the one that you can trust for your salvation, at least if not permanently, if not eternally, at least temporally. But can you fathom how even professing Christians might receive the imposter as Say, God with us? How could that be reasoned anyway? And if the Jews did not recognize Yeshua as Messiah, why do you think either Orthodox Jews or seemingly Orthodox Christians would be able to distinguish between Satan's clever imposter and Christ himself when the counterfeit actually comes first? And if the imposter emulates Christ the Messiah, in many ways, and then he precedes the second coming, a rapture, how would you discern his fraudulent deception when most will not? And here's another question for you as we launch into the program today. Can you see how increasing reliance on feelings in our time sets us up to be spiritually deceived? All that here today on Viewpoint Because there is one knocking at the door. In fact, there's one knocking at your door. The imposter. At the same time, Christ is knocking at the door. In fact, in Revelation chapter 3, we read, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door to me, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. Jesus is not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to the church. He's talking to people who purport to be his followers. I'm standing at your door and knocking. Apparently, there are a lot of other people that are not hearing that knock. Oh, but they're hearing another knock. They're hearing the knock of the imposter. The imposter at the door. And so I welcome you to Viewpoint here today. I trust that uh, you'll be able to stay tuned as we continue to take a look at this imposter, how to recognize the unrecognizable. Well, he is recognizable, but most will not recognize him. And there are reasons for it. And what would he look like? Today, we'll take a look at some of the things that he may manifest as. He's certainly going to seem to emulate or imitate Christ in some ways. So how would we discern the difference? In fact, discernment is going to be right at the heart of our conversation here today. We're going to think out loud. Now, here's another way that we need to think out loud. We are being put in a position of being forced to choose. Have you noticed that? Forced to choose. Now, isn't that a strange combination of words? Force and choose. 
choose seems to sound democratic. I get to make a choice. We all get to make a choice. We, the people in the United States, get to make a choice. The people of the Western world, the so-called Christian West, get to make a choice. We all get to make a choice. The problem is that force is coming upon us. Have you noticed that? And how is that force coming upon us? Well, it's coming incrementally. As all deception comes, it comes incrementally, like the fog coming in on little cat feet. It comes in quietly until you're completely surrounded. Are we completely surrounded yet by the choice to choose that is being forced upon us? Well, indeed we are. This very day, I heard that in the city in which I live, the birthplace of of the nation, the Richmond, Virginia school system is mandating that every teacher and uh, every administrator get a vaccine. If you do not, you will either be fired or sanctioned. We also have heard, just in the last day or two, that the mayor of New York, the largest city in the country, has decreed that everyone will get a vaccine. And if you do not, you will not go anywhere. You won't even go to a grocery store. You won't go anywhere. And if you do, you'll be fined $5,000. Of course, you have a choice. You can either choose to get fined $5,000 or not. You can choose not to go anywhere. You can choose not to go to a grocery store. You can choose not to feed your family. So you're forced to choose. All the convenient options are being removed. Have you noticed that? All the convenient options are being removed. And they've been removed and are in the process of being removed incrementally. First, you were told it would be a good idea if you had a vaccine, if we had one. And you only have to have one. Then we were soon told, no, uh, if you're really going to be safe, you're going to have to have at least two. And the ante was upped across the nation and around the world to compel people to get a vaccine. And not a vaccine, but two. Now we're told that the world and everyone in it must have three. At least if you've had the Moderna uh, or the uh, uh, the Pfizer mRNA versions, you'll have to have three. It would not be at all surprising if within the next six to eight months after that, we'll hear you have to have another one. Notice the word have to have. First of all, we were encouraged. Now we're told you have to. Or else. So all convenient options are being removed incrementally. So then you hear the words, but I had to. Have you heard that yet? I've heard Christians now tell me, but I had to. And then they'll give you the reasons why they had to. Well, they didn't have to. They just did. They chose to do what they felt 
They had to. Notice the word felt. They chose to do what they felt they had to. Now, therein lies the problem. You see, the feelings ultimately became the final arbiter of truth. They finally became the determiner of choices that could determine destiny. We could call it democratic deception. This is one of the reasons why the founders of the United States of America despised pure democracy. They said it was the most dangerous of all forms of government. We'll take a look at that and why that is and how it might relate to the imposter knocking at your door. We'll be right back, friends. This is Viewpoint, and Viewpoint does determine destiny. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. When the manipulation of feelings becomes the machination of demonically cunning men, hell follows closely. And so does the knocking of the imposter at your door. Today on Viewpoint, we take a look at this imposter at the door. We take a look at the environment in which he knocks at your door and perhaps some of the means by which he does so. We're not talking about the Messiah. The Messiah is quietly knocking at your door and has been. Jesus, he said in the book of Revelation chapter 3, at the church of Laodicea, you know the lukewarm church, he said, I'm standing at your door and knocking. Now a lot of pastors try to use that passage as if it's some evangelistic passage where Jesus is standing at the door of the average person who is not a believer, a pagan, and is knocking. No, that's not what that passage says. Not at all what it says. He's standing at the door of the church. Particularly the lukewarm church. Now, whether or not you're lukewarm is between you and the Lord. Because I can't see your eyes. And they say, don't shoot until you see the whites of their eyes. Since I can't see the white in your eyes, I'm not shooting. But I am going to convey to you what I believe the Lord would have us to discuss today that would be helpful to every one of us in the context of the rapidly developing events in our world. You do see how rapidly they are developing, don't you? And you can't hide from it. You can play pretend. You can say, well, I'm not going to watch the news, or I'm not going to listen to the news, or I'm not going to do this, or I'm not going to talk about that, or I'm not going to be around somebody. Well, you can do that, but you you can run, but ultimately you can't hide because it's still taking place, and it's taking place all around you. Jesus is standing at your door and knocking. If any man or woman will hear my voice, and he speaks with a still small voice, then I'll come in and sup with you, and you with me. In other words, we'll have 
true, genuine fellowship. And you'll be able to discern that I'm the real deal. But then there's another voice. There's an imposter knocking at the door, and he knocks with greater intensity. He doesn't knock quietly. He starts by knocking modestly, but then he's very impatient. And he knocks louder and louder, and then with greater and greater intensity, to the point where he's about to break down your door. Because for him, the imposter, he has to have dominion, whether you like it or not. So for Jesus, you and I have the final choice. He's not going to compel us. But for Satan and his demonic forces, including the Antichrist, you ultimately, your choice is going to be forced upon you. And how does that happen? Well, one of the amazing ways that it happens is through the power of seeming democracy. Now, there's nothing wrong with the freedom of people to choose. That's a good thing. But when their collective freedom to choose begins to function more like a forced dictatorship to compel every other man, woman, and child who doesn't want to choose what you want to choose, then that becomes not only deceptive, but demonic and dangerous. And that's why our founders despised democracy, that is, pure democracy. So in reality, in America, we don't have a democracy. We have a republic, a democratic republic. We have a representative democracy, which was designed to protect against the tyranny of the majority. Now, there are many in our country today that don't like that idea. They want the tyranny of the majority because they're looking for, they have a lust for power and uh, absolute power at that. They don't want legitimate choice. They want to compel every man, woman, and child to do their will. That, my friends, is the spirit of the imposter. That's the spirit of the Antichrist that is functioning among the children of men, the children of disobedience. So, do we have a choice? Do you have a choice? Well, the answer is both yes and no, depending on your viewpoint. You do have a choice. We all have a choice. Polycarp, the ancient uh, Christian leader, had a choice. He could either recant his faith or burn at the stake. He chose to burn at the stake rather than recant his faith. Did he have a choice? Yes. In America today, would we say he had a choice? No. Why is that? Because feelings have become the Lord of our lives. That's why, you see, we talk about feelings so much. There's nothing wrong with feelings in and of themselves when they serve us. But when they enslave us, we are prone to receive the imposter at the door. So our choice is to be a choice based upon God's dominion by his spirit in our hearts and our lives not an echo of the choices of everyone else around us. 
when we yield to the choices of everyone else around us and their incessant knocking at the door, whether it happens to be the, the governor or of your state, the mayor of your city, uh, the president of the United States, or uh, Klaus Schwab, head of the uh, World Economic Forum, it doesn't matter. If you yield to those choices, you are not actually making a choice. You are just ac- actually echoing what everybody else is doing. You're choosing to follow what you perceive to be the Democratic majority, as if somehow God, by his spirit, rules by democracy, by majority rule. No, in fact, it's quite the opposite. Jesus said that in these end times, very few would follow the right way. Precious few. But wide is the gate. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be that go in thereat. So that brings us to the next question. Fear or faithful anticipation. The Bible says that we should be looking for the blessed hope of the church. Now, the blessed hope of the church is Jesus Christ, Yeshua, the Messiah, the Holy One of Israel, the Savior of our souls, and so on. He is the one that we should be anticipating. But in the midst of all of that supposed expectation of anticipation comes the imposter knocking at the door. And it's an incessant knocking. It gets louder and louder, uh, more incessant, more demanding. And then everybody around is following in fear, capitulating to the demand as he knocks on everybody's door using politics, using economics, using threatenings and slaughterings and cajolings and every possible inducement to get you to submit to the imposter's agenda or goal. Therein lies one of the major problems that we're having to deal with in identifying the imposter. First of all, it's the environment of fear. Have you noticed that fear is growing rapidly? Just this week, an article came out from Israel National News concerning anxiety. Anxiety is sweeping the earth. Why? It's just a more polite way of saying fear is gripping our souls. So rather than a faith-filled anticipation of the second coming of Christ, the Prince of Peace, we are now governed by fear that is having a sense of forcing us to choose the imposter's way. As he knocks at the door, we give sway to fear, even though the Bible tells us, and we know, we quote the verse, that God has not given us again the spirit of fear, but of love and of power to sound mind. We still choose the spirit of fear. Because we're living in the lordship of our feelings. So rather than a faithful anticipation of the Lord's return, knowing that the times preceding that are going to be just like what we are seeing, 
We chose not to look at that, but to look at the fear that is immediately before us. And so we feel forced to choose. So I want to ask you a question before we go further. Do you feel forced to choose? Maybe you've already yielded to that sense of force to choose. Maybe you already have come to the place, well, saying the words, but I had to. But I had to. But I had to. You did choose, but you chose based upon fear rather than faith, didn't you? Most likely. Now, this may sound like tough talk for troubled times, but indeed it is because that's exactly what Jesus warned about. He told his disciples, take heed that no man deceives you. That's what deception is all about. It's called the seduction of the saints. And that seduction and that fear is everywhere. And it's growing stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger until it pervades the entire world and compels every man, woman, and child to bow to the imposter that is breaking down your door. Now, before we go any further, I want to suggest to you, if you do not already have the book, I urge you to get a copy of my latest book, The Imposter, How to Identify, or excuse me, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. The book is absolutely loaded. It's not just about information about the Antichrist. It's about you. It's about me. It's about our role in identifying him with regard to our own life, our own faith, our own destiny, and those of our children and our grandchildren and those we love and pastors, your congregation, and so on. That's one of the main differences of this book. And those who have interviewed me concerning this book across the land have increasingly noted the dramatic difference in this book, that it really, really speaks to the heart. I trust it will speak to your heart, too, to help you to stand firm in these difficult times. It's a $22 book on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. You're writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Antichrist, how to identify the coming imposter. Also, if you don't have the book, Seduction of the Saints, How to Stay Pure in a World of Deception, you're going to get that $18 book for $15. And if you get both of those together, instead of, $5 postage and handling for each of them. It'll just be a total of $7 postage and handling for the two of them. So you'll save three extra dollars that way. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or go to our website, saveus.org. All right. Again, 
when the manipulation of feelings becomes the machination of demonically cunning men, hell follows closely. Now, you see, the imposter has his henchmen. He himself does not come initially. He has his precursors, much like John the Baptist, you see, came to introduce Christ. So the imposter, the Antichrist, will have those who precede him, who prepare the way. And that's what they're doing. They're preparing the way around the world with a frightful spirit to set the stage for every man, woman, and child to embrace with anticipation a counterfeit Christ, the imposter. We'll be right back after this, friends. Stay tuned. This is Viewpoint. Viewpoint does determine destiny. There are no neutral viewpoints. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. Saveus.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at saveus.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. There is an imposter. He's knocking at your door. He may be knocking mildly now, or he may have been knocking rather loudly. And for many, he has been knocking with just incessantly demanding entrance into your life, forcing you to make a choice. You either agree with what he wants to do and his agenda, or else. And so many Christians are just saying, well, I had to. I had to yield. I had to give in. I had to take the mark. I had to take the vaccine. I had to do what they asked me to do. I had to do. I had to. I had to. I had to. I had to. If that is going to be our incessant answer, we are already doomed Our destiny is fixed, and it ain't pleasant. I hope you're listening. I'm not saying, and I'm not here to try to tell you, that if you got a vaccine, that you are destined to perdition. Not trying to say that. We're talking about the attitude of the heart, the reasoning of the mind, and what it is that is propelling us to make the decisions. Because there is a decision that is coming. In the book of Revelation, we're told very clearly that this Antichrist figure, the imposter called the beast and his empire, 
with his false prophet, will design a system to compel every man, woman, and child on the planet to receive an identifying mark of allegiance. And only by receiving that mark of allegiance, whatever it might be, will you be able to buy or sell, conduct any business, go to the grocery store, get electricity, get gas for your car, buy medicine, anything. You will not be able to do anything unless you have that mark. In other words, you're going to have to choose. Every man, woman, and child on the planet is going to have to choose. Now, in the Bible, we have this phrase, choose you this day whom you will serve. But Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So we have to choose. And you cannot serve the Lord God of history and the imposter. You can't serve both kingdoms. You can't straddle the line. You have to choose. And right now, we are being faced with a masterful parable living right before us of choosing. And there are many who are saying, in fact, huge numbers in the medical field are saying, this choice isn't even reasonable. It's dangerous, not for spiritual reasons, it's dangerous for medical reasons. But those who have nefarious agendas and ends who are laying the foundation for the incredible, infamous mark will not take reason in response. Ultimately, there comes a place where you cannot reason your way out of the choice. We call that rationalizing. You can't rationalize your way out of the choice. The choice will be clear. Now, with that in mind, I have some further questions for you. Will the Antichrist be easily discernible by most professing Christians? Why? If, if, if he is, why would he be? Or why not? And if he's easily discernible, then why is it that so many will succumb to him? Why do you think true spiritual discernment is so rare? Do you find that you have a tendency to pick and choose what scriptures you will believe or reject, either outwardly or tacitly? By the way, the whole church is doing that. Pastors are doing it every day. In what ways does destiny depend on spiritual discernment? And finally, do you believe that you have both strong and accurate spiritual discernment? Why? Why do you believe that? Or why do you think you don't? Now, all that having been said, we're going to take a look for the balance of the program here at this imposter somebody who pretends to be someone else in order to deceive others. And we know that since Satan, the deceiver, ordains or commissions his counterfeit Christ to sit in his satanic seat and to stand in his stead, 
then it should come as no surprise that this imposter, Christ, will appear to the masses, the majority, as God's anointed one. That's what they'll conclude. In other words, they're lacking spiritual discernment. That's what they'll conclude. So the degree of deception, by the way, is almost going to defy description. And that's why Jesus warned, take heed that no man deceive you. All right. So it's frequently said, I know you've heard it, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. But when deception is the foundation of flattery, then it's no more flattery, it's fraud. And that's how the imposter is going to work. He's going to defraud. Here's the problem. Most people, when they get defrauded, have no clue they're being defrauded. My wife and I were defrauded massively a number of years ago. It almost destroyed us economically. And it occurred by a very trusted and respected Christian brother. He conducted his fraud in such a way that for the most part, it would have been impossible to detect, except for certain nuances in his reporting that if we had had an eye to see and an ear to hear, we could have detected it. But we didn't. Because we wanted to believe that what he was doing and how he was doing it was right, was proper, and was honest. That's how Satan works. He's not honest, but he wants to pretend to be honest. He's not trustworthy, but he tends to be trustworthy. So this imposter's introduction to our world, it's going to be relatively brief. In fact, it's going to seem almost like meteoric. He's going to come in uh, maybe for a few years, many say about three years, and he's going to gain the kingdom by flattery. The prophet Daniel tells us he's going to gain the kingdom by flattery. Well, when Jesus came in at 30 years of age, it seemed like he came out of nowhere, didn't it? All of a sudden, he's been hidden, and now he comes out. Even so, Satan's counterfeit Christ is going to make his debut. He's going to catch the globe in a growing, almost gleeful state of surprise because they're going to be desperate for him. There might be some suspicion harbored a bit at first, but most will, in effect, just kind of roll out the red carpet, thinking that he's going to be the best thing since sliced bread. He's going to come in like a lamb, but he's going to roar like a lion pretty soon. And his power and his authority are going to be secured beyond resistance. And ultimately, as the Apostle Paul said, he's going to declare himself God in a rebuilt temple. So, Christ as Messiah brings righteousness and peace and joy with hope. Not with fear, but with hope. The imposter deviously promises great things like peace and prosperity through unrighteousness, leading ultimately to unprecedented 
horror. And that's what the New World Order is about. That's what the new global government that is being pushed upon the world, called the Great Reset, that's what it's about. It's about completely redefining the world. The economics of the world. That's what Klaus Schwab, founder of the World Economic Forum, has declared. He's the one that came up with the idea of the Great Reset. He said, as the model for the Great Reset, we're going to build back better. So Joe Biden came along as the henchman for the New World Order and adopted that phrase for his campaign, build back better. He didn't come up with it. He plagiarized it directly from those moving for the New World Order government. And that's exactly what John Kerry testified to former Secretary of State, former presidential candidate, and the economic, not economic, but environmental czar for Joe Biden. So, here's a question. Was Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah? It's it's just an open question now for discussion. What should be one of the most troubling historical concerns is this question. Why did the Jews not receive or recognize Jesus as the Messiah? That's maybe the most telling conundrum facing both Jew and Gentile in these uh, latter days of the end times. If Jewish people who were looking for and anticipating a promised Messiah failed failed miserably even to recognize him, even as Jesus performed unprecedented miracles, Why should either Jew or Gentile believe we will recognize him when he comes? Especially since our Jewish brethren deny that he's already come. This is not an idle question. It has profound implications for you, for me, for all of us. If indeed we're on the near edge of the second coming of Christ. So we're going to take a look at uh, some of these issues, some of these questions in the next uh, 12 minutes or so. I hope you'll stay tuned. This is Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Kressmeyer. We're confronting the deepest issues of our hearts and homes. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. So many things that we need to cram into this last 12 minutes here on the program today. We're talking about the imposter that's knocking at the door, at your door. 
forcing us to choose. So why did the Jews not receive Jesus? You remember uh, John, a Jewish disciple of Jesus, said that he came unto his own, that is the Jewish people, and his own received him not. But as many as did receive him, which was a very, very small remnant, to them he gave power or authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name. In other words, those who followed him and chose, not because they were forced to choose by the religious leaders of the day, who had total governance over them, or by Caesar, but they chose because they chose. Their hearts were strangely stirred, not by a counterfeit, but by the Spirit of Christ himself. So he came unto his own. It's say that familiarity breeds contempt. So sometimes the closer one comes to physical or group relationship, the less likely it will be his or her receptivity to unite giftedness. So Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country, in his own house. So they rejected him. Also, it says he spoke with authority and not as the religious leaders. But that was offensive to those who were in rulership. That is, the religious leaders. They were revered as the religious leaders, but from the heart, they didn't get it. And they felt that Jesus threatened their power, their perks, their positions that were secured by the people's trust, so Jesus had to go. They were envious of him. Pontius Pilate said so, and so they killed him. Another, he, Jesus confronted the leadership hypocrisy of the day. He wasn't willing to let them get by with their religious mumbo-jumbo. He wanted to make sure that the people were not just getting religious information, but that their lives were transformed by the word that God had provided. But the religious leaders didn't want that. They didn't want change because it might affect their power and perks and position. And also Jesus threatened the place of Jewish religious leaders in the Roman culture because they had worked out a synergy of codependence with Rome and they loved to have it so. So they said, if we let Jesus alone, all men are going to believe on him, and the Romans then will come and take away our place and our nation. We can't have that. So we have a a similar kind of conundrum here today in America, where there is a tendency to turn a nation founded as a Judeo-Christian nation to turn our godly history into an idol and to serve it rather than the God who made and preserved us a nation. So they said, we have no God but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. The early colonists in our country said, when they wanted to make George Washington king, they said, we have no king but Jesus. Today, we're saying we have any, we'll have any king but Jesus. So, the imposter is knocking at the door. Yes, in America, and has been for a very long time. All right, let's talk about this 
business of emulation or imitation. The Apostle Paul tells us that we should be imitators of God as followers, imitators uh, of God and walk in love. So to emulate means to imitate, to match or even surpass. So what would it be, what would be needed for the deceiver's imposter to emulate Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, and to convince people through the world to embrace him as a global savior that they should trust in, have their felt needs met for the moment at least? That's a, that's a haunting question, I think. Well, here are some things that we might think about in that regard. The first and most obvious problem in framing a broad answer to that is to establish, first, who the Messiah was to be. We need to clearly understand that from the Bible's viewpoint. Who was the Messiah to be? Two, for what purpose was he to come? Next, what would he be expected to do? In what fashion would he be presented? With what attitudes and behaviors will he conduct himself? And who would be most expected to gravitate to him, and why? And does this person, this proffered Messiah, match biblical expectations? Now, the Jewish people have been very very, very troubled in trying to answer those questions. And they've concluded over and over again that, no, Jesus didn't match the descriptions. Well, part of the reason is because they misunderstood the descriptions. They thought Jesus was going to come in as a reigning king to take dominion and deliver them from the Romans. They didn't think he was going to come in as a suffering servant. So they had to reject Isaiah chapter 53, that described how Jesus would come. And then they had to turn biblical somersaults to try to reinterpret the meaning of Isaiah 53, which they refused to read in their congregations, lest the people should now see that Yeshua was the Messiah. And they conclude, no, that was talking about Israel as a country, as a people, not about the Messiah. So here's some questions. Would the Messiah be born in Bethlehem? Jesus was, but Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and the religious leaders still rejected him, even though the Bible said he would be born in Bethlehem. Will the imposter have a virgin birth? Well, that was promised. Jesus had a virgin birth. But rather than admitting that, they say, no, he was just born of a young woman. So we play pretend with the words. Will the imposter experience a resurrection? Well, since the resurrection of Christ was the centerpiece in confirming confirming the Christian faith, his counterfeit might, at least for a reasonable speculation or even expectation, appear to experience such a miracle. The book of Revelation chapter 13 gives some indication that that could happen. But what it really means I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wandered after the beast. But we don't know exactly what that was. Was the beast a man or a political power? Viewpoints differ. 
We're also told that a false prophet will mastermind the miraculous deceptions that appear to validate the authenticity of the imposter as the real Messiah, doing wonders, making fire come down from heaven in the sight of men, and so on. Then we're told about this mark of the beast. Will he be a Jew or a Gentile? Many say he will be a Jew. Others say, no, he'll be a Muslim now. Will Jews receive a Muslim Messiah? Not likely. Will his message be one of love? Well, it will appear that way at first. Absolutely. If not, it would be nearly impossible to deceive most people, especially professing Christians. Yet how could a devious counterfeit Christ preach or present a message of love? The answer might be pretty surprising because love is being progressively redefined, not as agape love, but the lordship of feelings. That's how the practice of homosexuality and adultery and fornication and now this last week, bestiality and transgenderism. All of these are being advanced now in the name of love. So we have to beware the lordship of feelings that betrays biblical truth. What does that mean for you and for me? Well, it means that we have to study to show ourselves approved unto God. A workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing and discerning and applying the word of truth. So when what our creator has defined as love is culturally renamed hate speech, and when that which God declares to hate or oppose is labeled loving, you know the imposter is knocking at the door, maybe even your door. And I'm telling you, friends, if you are a uh, an adult, 50 years of age and older, and you have children or grandchildren, you know what I'm talking about. Because one of the greatest troubles, problems, that Christian parents are having today is dealing with young people that are coming up in the high schools and in the colleges and universities, yes, even Christian universities, who are coming home and saying, you're not loving because you don't embrace homosexuality. The practice of homosexuality. Obviously, you're not loving. You're not like Jesus, and I don't want to follow what you claim to be the Messiah. By doing that, what they are actually doing unwittingly is responding to the imposter's knock at their door, and they're welcoming him in because they do not understand the nature of biblical love you cannot diss what god has said and claim you love him you can't do that they're non sequiturs they don't follow you either agree with what god who says he is love has said or you redefine love according to your own standard, or the standard of the democratic echo that's going on in your world, in the culture, and decide to embrace it. And when you do, you are opening the door to the imposter that is knocking. 
It's not that difficult to figure out. And it's happening right in front of our eyes, friends. Right in front of yours. Now, to help God's people in these difficult, difficult times, there are two books that I'm going to recommend to you. The one is my latest book called Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. It's 450-some pages. It is, it'll pierce to the heart, really. It's full of information. Oh, yeah. But it's there for transformation, to help us stand in the day, in the evil day, and to identify and not be seduced and not respond to the imposter knocking at the door. It's on our website, saveus.org, Antichrist. How to identify the coming imposter? $22. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. The other book, again, is Seduction of the Saints. It was written a few years ago for the very purpose of preparing God's people for the massive deception and seduction that Jesus said was coming upon the planet. And it's coming upon the church, and it's already there big time. We're watching it take place. The so-called wokeness that is taking place in even evangelical churches is a manifestation of our willingness to yield to the imposter knocking at the door and his spirit. We are responding to the demands of the culture rather than the demands of Christ. And we have to choose. That's an $18 book, yours for $15, Seduction of the Saints. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. And if you want both of these books, Antichrist and Seduction of the Saints, then what you're going to do is add $7 postage and handling. You're going to save $3 by getting both of the books together, saves us postage, and we'll get them in your hands. I trust this has been helpful, maybe challenging, maybe piercing to the heart. That's all right. It's tough talk for troubled times, and we need that to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might, don't we? Thanks for joining us. Become a partner. Send your gifts by faith, friend, to Save America Ministries. Do it today. Don't delay. God is depending upon you to carry the burden. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home. 